welcome to Ridgewood Talks. Through this podcast, we will be introducing you to some of the leaders and legends in our village. We'll keep you updated about fascinating local events, and we'll dig into the town's hot topics and so much more. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeannie Johnson, the founder of Ridgewood Talks and Ridgewood Walks. The goal of these initiatives is to create a kinder, more connected, and more vibrant community. I'm thrilled to be co-hosting this podcast with my good friend and all-around wonderful guy, Jordan Kaufman. We look forward to meeting with you weekly and hearing your thoughts on who and what you'd like to learn about in our beautiful hometown. Enjoy this episode. Ready, set, go, kids. Here we are. Hey, Jordan. How's it going in Ridgewood, New Jersey? It's going well. I think we're now uh, off to uh, off to the races for the school year. I think everyone's getting settled and kids sports are in uh, in full swing and the weather's still beautiful. So, uh, you know, I think everyone's uh, everyone's doing pretty good here. And obviously that plays well to the subject at hand, the Board of Education candidates and election that's coming up in November. So what about you, Jeannie? Where are you uh, in the States these days? I'm on day 74 of a hundred plus day RV cross country journey. And I am on one of America's most scenic byways. I am on the shores of Lake Superior right now. Oh, wow. It's gorgeous. It is uh, peak leaf season. It's just glorious. It's beautiful. Um, but I'm very excited to be here with you again today. And of course, our guest, Mike Lembo. I'll go into his intro a little bit later, but I'm going to just go ahead and remind our listeners and actually thank them for tuning in and remind them again that there is a Board of Education election coming up on Tuesday, November the 7th. There are two board seats, each with a three-year term, and that will be on the ballot. There are seven community members that have stepped up to compete for these seats, and they have all agreed to chat with us. And through the course of these interviews, listeners, you will learn more about the candidates and where each one stands on issues that affect our schools and our community. So we ask the listeners and voters to submit questions to our Ridgewood Talks email address, and we're going to discuss those on this interview today. And we also invite listeners to attend the League of Women Voters Candidate Forum on October 18th, and that's going to be from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Ed Center on Cottage Place. And like we have said throughout all of these interviews, we encourage people to get there early because seats fill up fast. And then we also want to encourage you all to submit a question to the candidates at the forum because that's the best way to get to know them. And then today, we're going to get to know Mike Lembo a little bit more. Mike is a current is the current president of the Ridgewood Board of Education, and he's serving his second term in that position. And also, this is his second election. Um, for Board of Education. He won the election back in 2020. Um, He is a third generation Ridgewoodian and is a product of the Ridgewood Public School System. He is also a graduate of the University of Scranton, where he served in um, ROTC. And Mike has been with the Ridgewood Police Department for just about 20 years, serving in various capacities. He's an instructor at the Bergen County Police Academy and teaches classes in cybersecurity and gives presentations to students and parents on how to navigate the internet safely and how to avoid being exploited online. 
Mike is also a prolific volunteer in the community. He's given time and talent to Dad's Night and Michael Feeney's Police Academy, as well as many other organizations. So thanks again, Mike, for being here. Um, this is your second time as a guest on our show. And if listeners want to hear that interview, the first interview that Mike gave us, they can look through the show notes and find that episode from March 26th of 2023. So let's kick things off again with a thank you for your service, uh, Mike. Oh, uh, we you. talked about, the, uh, yes, thank you so much for being here and uh, for serving. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, the Board of Education is a 100% volunteer position, meaning these people get zero stipend for doing what they do. And like I mentioned in, in episodes before, it can take up as many as 30 hours a week to perform the job effectively. And to serve on this board you got to have a lot of stamina. And so again, we thank you for your service to the community. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for those kind words. But yes, I, 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 we were saying before that it is, it is a lot of, uh, it's a big commitment, but it's a commitment that I know myself and I'm sure all the other candidates, you know, are ready for. Great. So with that, I'd like you to clarify your perception of the role of a Board of Education board member. Okay. Being on the Board of Education is a very noble, you know, tireless job. And I, I want to make it so that we're not, we are five voices as a group, and we are there to speak for, most importantly, the student. But while we're on the, we're overseeing the schools, make sure they're run efficiently. We're not there to administer anything. We have, we hire our superintendent, who then does the day-to-day -day operations. We always give the why, and then the, the, the school and this under the superintendent does the how. If the board wishes to have something passed, whether it's curriculum or it's, it's an ideology or something like that, the board can kind of give that those ideas, but it's really this, the day-to-day -day operations is always done by the school superintendent. I said it when we passed the late start in the beginning of this year, we would support it, but we weren't dictating what the day-to-day -day schedule was going to be, what the, all, all the nuances, but we wanted to make sure that this is what the students wanted, what the community wanted, and what the educators wanted. We have to listen to the community. We have to listen to our educators. And again, back to our students, our parents, our parents are great resources. So many times we want to have input from our parents and, you know, we want to make sure that we, we, we gauge every, everybody's opinions though equally. One of our goals that's been pretty consistent for the last uh, three years that I've been on the board has been inclusivity with the uh, the DEI aspect. But also, we want to make sure that we hear from everybody. You know, we don't want just one group having the loudest voice or, or you know, the people that come to our meetings that are consistently like complain about one thing without looking at all aspects. We want to make sure that any decision that we make is everybody is thought of or, or representative. And, and obviously sometimes you have to, you know, weigh things, but we want to make sure that we we listen, 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 and hear from everybody. It's a very vital role. You know, ever since the last few years, I think it's been more and more people have been focused on their children's education because as a whole, an educated community is a thriving community. And we want to make sure that our schools are the best that they can be. We all know as being rigid residents that people move here for the schools. And, you know, it's it's one of the reasons. I don't want to say it's the only reason, but a, a large reason, you know, that a lot of people move here are because of our school system. So we always want to be improving. And for me, 
you know, I'm a product of the rigid schools. My father was a product of the rigid schools. My children will be projects of rigid schools, but we all had different experiences. And I want to make sure that my children have the same, if not better experience. I don't want them to have a lesser experience, of course. So we always want to make sure, but we have to move with the times. Ridgewood is known for being on the forefront of the education community. And we want to make sure that we're always leading that way. Just like we just did with the, um, with the late start initiative, we are one of only three districts in the entire state. And you're going to start seeing more and more uh, change to that. That's a great answer. So um, with that, I'd also like you to help us understand why you're running for Board of Ed once again. Okay, great. That's that's probably the number one question that I get asked, right? Because I, I think that right now we're kind of at a crossroad. I know we had spoken back in, um, uh, back in March about there's been a lot of, um, you know, turnover, and there's been a lot of um, issues that have come up. When I started back in, you know, when I first decided to run, which is back in 2019, I have a different background than a lot of people that usually want to step up and uh, run for the board. Not saying anything anyway on, on their end, but I was a prior educator that I went into public service with law enforcement. So I have more of a, a mindset of, of protecting children as a whole. And also, you know, with my graduate degree in public administration, so right now, I want to make sure that our children are safe in the school. Um, in fact, today is uh, World Mental Health Day. And I always want to make sure that our children aren't worrying about, you know, whether it's the pressures of school or physical insecurity. So those are things that I wanted to get into before the lockdown. Unfortunately, we had to shift a lot of focus because of COVID, but there's that, that background. Plus, we have a strategic plan review coming up as well. I want to make sure my uh, graduate degree is was doing strategic plans, and that is a long-term plan that we can stay focused on. We're just coming up to our last year of our current strategic plan, and I want to make sure that groups of people don't come into our board of education and wanting to um, sway things either way. We have a very large budget. There's no question about that. We also have a lot of aging infrastructure. We need to have a way that we can come to common sense solutions to our entire properties, whether it's maintenance, whether it's um, you know buildings, whatever, without, you know, I don't want to number crunch but I also don't want to not do progress. I've seen over the years, even before I was on the board, if things get let by the wayside down the line, it costs even more money to update or maintain them. You know, we, we need to weigh, you know, where are we going to spend our money? I also am very concerned sometimes when people, you know, the fighting, we need to foster a support of our educators. When our educators know that we're supporting them, they then, you know, that trickles down to our students and it trickles down to the rest of our community. A large part of our educators are community members and we need to get to that table. You know, next year there's a contract for the REA, which is our teachers union. We need to make sure that they know that we're not going to give them everything away, but we also need to know that they're respected and we have to come to a, a very a logical conclusion so we can kind of continue to move forward. I just don't want any sort of, you know, I want things that weren't smoothly. And I feel that by taking the reins and just talking to each other common sensely, we could do that. That's great. I have two questions for you. The first sure. one I'm going to ask is for you to help us understand a little bit more clearly um, what the actual budget is and what the breakdown is like of our taxes. What do you mean though? Down. What I want you to okay. tell us is for every $1 that I give in taxes, I understand. Okay. what portion of that goes to the municipality and what portion of that goes to the schools? That's what I want to know. 
Okay, understood. And that's that's a, a great question because as we all know, this will this will be our second election since the budget uh, cycle has been changed. And we used to, as a community, we used to vote in April because the school budget has to be approved because the school operating year is July 1st to June 30th. So you have to approve a budget before that time period. So when our election cycle used to be in April, this community could vote for or against a budget. The school municipal, I'm sorry, the school budget is the largest impact of our taxes. It's almost... I think it's almost 70%. I got to look the exact number of it. Whereas our municipal taxes are very minimal and our county tax is even smaller. Our federal tax, it, it, it gets smaller as it goes. But the I largest- think 75. Chunk, I think, yeah, I think 75, it's 75. Yeah, 75. Yeah. So yeah, right there. So our school budget is the largest portion of all of our taxes. And that's, that's it. So when we- you know, used to vote on our budget and for a long time, and I, you may even have this data, it was almost never got voted down. Um, it was a continuous, it, it passed many, many years. The last election that we had a school budget uh, election, which was in 2020, it did was defeated. When the school budget is defeated, the council and the school board get together and they have to go through and they have to make decisions of where, because clearly the, the town does not want that budget anymore. It's an interesting thing because there's really no set parameters of what, how much needs to be cut or how much needs to be kept in. In that, there was about, it was $650,000 was removed from the budget. A lot of it though was maintenance. Some of the things that we've seen, you know, trickle down three years later that we're now seeing, well, we may need to bring those back. We have to look at what was working, what's not. So I want to delve Go. into Go. that just a little bit, sure. Um, sure. just, and, and clarify my understanding. So the way that I understood it is uh, Governor Chris Christie at one point said, look, you guys, I'm looking at all these school board budgets across the state, and I see that voter turnout is really, really poor for these school board budgets. So I'm going to leave it up to the municipalities to see if they actually want to spend the money, what if, whatever it is, I believe it's around $60,000, $75,000 each year for the voters to come out and either vote for or against the school board budget. And he said, look, if you don't want to spend that money and you want to put that money toward either a person or a program, go ahead and do that. I'm going to leave that up to you guys to decide. So what I understood was our board at that time said, no, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep it in place. We're going to see what happens. So they kept it in place for a couple of years and they recognized that, what was it? Something like 7% of our voters came out to vote for the board of ed budget. So then they determined that, you know what, we're going to eliminate it. And by the way, the budget as far as I know, in 20 years, the budget has only been defeated two times. Right. And That's right. I knew it was very, very, very infrequent. Yeah. So that was kind of like, it's just kind of like a rubber stamp. They go through, go right. through, go through. Well, then all of a sudden, I believe it was Mr. Donnie, Mr. He's on the board now. He and Susan Knudsen, uh, former mayor Susan Knudsen, brought it to the public and said, look, we want to bring this vote back. They did all the paperwork for the state and said, let's make sure that our voters get to do this. And and so they actually did it. I guess it was during I remember being at that village council meeting and it was during the summer. And from what I understood, the sitting board members didn't recognize that that was taking place. But whatever it happened, they ended up getting the vote back. And when the first year that they got the vote back, the 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 vote was defeated or the budget was defeated. 
Um, and then, like you said, then the protocol was it goes to the village council and the village council in collaboration with the board of ed decides to take out things. And so that was that $600,000 that was taken out of the school board budget during COVID. Is that that the budget cycle was during COVID? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it was. Yes, that is correct. So it seemed like. Ooh, it's a little scary to hear that, that, wow, you took out $600,000 of our budget during a critical time, especially when you were saying it was maintenance. Is that something that when you think of custodial sorts of things and what an emphasis that we had on making sure that everything was sterilized, was that affected? I don't really know. I no, honestly no, don't know. No, yeah. yeah. Tell me if I explained <laughs> it all correctly, because, you know, that's my understanding, but I want you to correct the record if I'm mistaken. You, you are, you're good. You, and you, and you, I think everything was it was correct. The issue when I was saying that the maintenance was most it wasn't it wasn't like sanitizing like safety for for you know there was actually a lot of federal money for like the PPE and like all the hand washing stations that wasn't affected. It was mostly um, duplication of services or like supervisory positions that they were uh, fixing you know making sure certain aspects were done. No programming was affected, and it was mostly I have to look at to double check exactly what it was, but it was like a supervisor position that was checking on, um, you know, cleanliness of rooms or when we had uh, custodial supervisors on scene that were also checking. So it was just like kind of like a duplication. Okay. There was no, like there, nobody would ever cut anything out for safety or for, especially that time. And there was so much, we had, we had a lot of uh, money that came in for like, you know, the hand washing stations and, and that. So that was not effective. All right. You mentioned earlier something about the fighting, and I, I want you to clarify that. But I'm going to ask this question because this was asked multiple <laughs> times from our listeners, that there was an unprecedented turnover, which you, those I think were your exact words, an unprecedented turnover since 2020. We have had four superintendents, two assistant superintendents, and four business administrators. And this is the question that is being asked by our listeners. Do you believe that that has caused instability with our administration, with the teachers, with our students? I just want to correct one word, though. I wouldn't say fighting. I would be like more like disagreements. I don't want to say... <laughs> And also, and I, I agree with what you're saying, but first off, I just want to address some, like I've, this question has come up a few times. I don't necessarily agree with the, the numbering. You know, we say four superintendents. It, that is technically correct, but you know, our last, Dr. Fitz was an interim and even Dr. Gorman was an interim. And then we made him the, he was actually an acting superintendent. So we would have, if we went by those numbers, it would actually would have been five. Also, you know, with our, our human resources uh, director leaving, she retired. And we also had uh, right now our assistant superintendent, we, we did lose one. Right now we, we're in interim one. So sometimes, I mean, the numbers make it a lot worse than it is. That being said, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not sugarcoating it and saying, oh no, everything is okay. But there are, there are a few points in there that makes when, when people see all those numbers, like, wait, it's just that, you know, everybody, when they go to a superintendent search, when one superintendent leaves, there has to be an interim there as well. So I just want to make sure that that's kind of unknown. But you're right. And we spoke about this back in March as well. We do have some staff that retire. They're getting ready to go. They're retiring or they wanted to go to a different project. That's always going to be the case. That being said, there are some staff members that have left for whatever reason. Our human resources director, uh, Ms. Murphy, she does exit interviews. So I'm not always 
privy to, uh, you know, why people are leaving. That is a question I usually want to know because if another district is paying more, another district is doing X, Y, and Z, a districts are pushing. I, I kind of want to know that if the staff is unhappy, why? So I do see that when people leave and this year we had our turnover of our administration, which was huge. We have a new superintendent and a new business administrator. You know, Miss Murphy came in uh, last fall. So that was, that is a little bit unstable. So in the beginning of the year, there were a few things that we kind of were holding off on on the board, trying to wait till we had our, our stable administration in place, whether it was uh, committee assignments and reworking how our meetings are run, not saying how the, the information is going out to the public, but more like how, you know, the internals of how just how everyone's jobs are well more defined because we have a new superintendent new business administrator, they want things to run their way. So we have to kind of bring their way to the rigid way and kind of meet in the middle somewhere. A great thing that uh, someone brought up the other day to me was our budget cycle last year. We unfortunately lost our business administrator smack dab in the middle of the budget presentation season. So we weren't able to get what we normally want to do. So we have now a set schedule for Ms. Cott to get that information of the budget out. We want to make sure we have those public meetings. We want to make sure that we're hitting all of our deadlines. Last, our last go around in our budget, our orders were kind of at the end of the line. It was January, February, and orders were still going through. I just want to be clear though, the orders, it's a um, it's procedural. It's not that there's anything that we have to go through that. It's a kind of checks and balance. They're there now. So it's now late September, early October. We have them at the board working months earlier. So there was definitely some things that got pushed because of this turnover. We just passed our goals now for this year when we normally would have done this in the spring. So we, we're, we're, we're a little behind on things, but I would say in about a month or so, we're, we're going to be much more evened out and we're working out that kinks and it's like that forming, storming and, you know, the, when a group comes together. But I do agree with you that it was unfortunate the last couple of years, but I think we're in a good spot now. Well, that's good to hear because I, I guess my clearer question would be, do you think the communication or the communication style among the board and I, you know, from what I'm recognizing that there's a lot more maybe seems like contention. I don't know if it is. It just, it doesn't mm -hmm. feel right that conversations don't flow as smoothly as they have in the past. That may or may not be true. Um, but do you think that that communication style affects this turnover and, and things like that? Well, I think a lot of the things that the, the public doesn't see is, is more effective affects it. Our board meeting is two, three hours every other week, whether our committee meetings or our interactions, you know, with the superintendent or, you know, our board secretary are much more frequent. So I think that would affect it more. As the president, I try to give out updates to the board on a consistent basis because me and the superintendent have a, a different relationship. And so if I get brought up to speed on something, I want everybody to know, you know, I try to keep everybody informed. And when we, we find out information, sometimes, you know, I don't always ask a lot of questions during a meeting because I've kind of worked through them out on the back end. But you're right. Like sometimes the, the board meetings are only a small glimpse of what the rest of the uh, of the bigger picture that some people see also. So all right. So I want to move in more questions that came sure. from our listeners. Let's see. Well, a lot of people are very concerned about what's happening at the federal level or at the national level, I should say, okay. about book banning. And so everyone wants to know what your position is on banning books. That's a great question because that's there's a bunch of things I we started off without saying that there's a lot of, you know, hot topics lately. And, you know, 
one of the things that get brought up and whether it's banning books or certain um you know, topics that we brought in school, one that we just went through was in our wellness classes, right? And that was kind of brought up. You have to be sensitive to, you know, parents, you know, wishes if they wish, you know, they don't want their, their child to to view something or, or whatnot. But we also have to put a lot of faith in our educators. I'm talking about the book ban, but I'm also talking about other sensitive subjects here. But I'm talking about like, you know, the health, health and wellness classes and you hear talking points on the news or on the internet or whatnot. And then, you know, I'm asking questions of our staff go, wait a minute, you know, you in, in the curriculum committee. And, and I was like, are we talking about this at kindergarten? They're like, no, it's talked, it's taught in a, a different manner at a higher level, a uh, higher age group and without context, facts are useless, right? So you don't, you can say they're talking about this all day long, but until you know what the context of what is being instructed to our children, we need to know what it is. So Whenever there's a controversial topic that comes up and we get these, whether they're emails or, or parents come to a board meeting or someone just talks to a board member and is concerned about something, whether it's a, a book or or a lesson or, or whatever, you know, we usually do ask and say, hey, you know, what what is going on here? What's going on? It's almost always explained in a different light. So we want to make sure that we are sensitive to feelings and ideologies of our, our community and of our parents. But we should not be banning books for certain reasons. And that's, you know, we see it if, you know, I'm sure your listeners are, are very savvy and look at even school boards around us in our area that are doing things differently. We are trusting our educators. Um, we're, we're letting them know that we're listening to our community. We want to know what's going on, but we are not going to uh, halt progress of education just because somebody doesn't like something being said. That being said, if a parent or a guardian feels that they don't want their child to be in this lesson, you know, in the health lesson or in this class reading this book, they have that right to not participate. Now, I know what, you know, there's another side of that that say, well, then my, my child may, is being excluded, but every parent has a right to know what their child is being educated. We have it, uh, you know, listed on the, the Atlas website. And if they don't want to participate, they have that right to do so. But we're not going to stop all all students from learning because of because someone doesn't like that as well. Okay, so that brings me into the next question. So you said that parents' opinions weigh heavily on the decisions that the board makes. And so one of the things that was talked about quite extensively by the parents was world languages. And yeah. there was a whole situation with the world language uh, program at the elementary level and also PE because it, it turns out that our uh, state quality monitoring score went down significantly as a result of the lack of world languages and our PE program at the elementary level. So if you could just walk us through that and explain mm. why that happened and you know what has been done to rectify that. Okay. So I'm going to start with there's good news at the end of the story. So you're right. I'm glad you brought up both because those are both two issues was our PE and our world language. I'll talk first about our PE because it's a little bit quicker. The state comes through quite frequently, but every once in a while, there's a big mandate and they push certain standards that have to be met. Our students need a certain amount of time every day, but all the time of, of physical education and wellness. Ridgewood was able prior to this, our recess time during lunch and some of the play times were able to be counted towards those minutes. Unfortunately, when this new mandate had, had, was changed, no longer could the, the recess time be uh, counted. So we were actually under the allotted time, uh, the mandated time. So we were out of compliance. 
two years ago in our budget, this was presented. We needed to hire additional physical education teachers to uh, keep up with that demand at the elementary school level. This year, we were able to get those educators in because not only were we out of compliance, we were being sued because we were out of compliance. We There was a lawsuit and this was not only were we, at the end of the day, we were affecting the children. I mean, let's, I started to say that at the end of the day, our biggest constituent, the most important thing of why we're on the school board are our children. And it's affecting our children and, and their lives. But now we're costing money because we're getting, there's a lawsuit going and then there's dragging out uh, hiring. So finally, the board had come together and now we have hired those physical education teachers. We are now in compliance with the physical education requirement. So we're good there. Not as quick as I, I would have hoped, but it is there now. The world language, similar uh, backstory where there was a requirement that students be kind of exposed to world language in the elementary school level. Ridgewood for many years we're using like an online, like an audio software type. Um, and it was actually quite costly. It was determined that hiring teachers would actually have been more cost effective. But now it comes to a point, what languages are we going to expose our elementary school children to? Besides, the, there was a group of people that did not want world language at all because they didn't want to spend money. Our middle school, for the most part, was, a, was the first time that children, our students are in a full time. They start in seventh grade. They pick up a language. They can choose you know, Latin, uh, Spanish, and uh, French, and they're able to choose. And then when they go to the high school, we have a robust catalog of different languages. So some of the debate began, well, let's get a language that feeds into the middle school, then that feeds into the high school. So a student theoretically could start taking, you know, I'm going to use Spanish, just because, of, but like a student takes Spanish in elementary, and they can continue that all through high school. The board had come together. We finally said, listen, we need we need to fill this. We are behind. We want to, obviously there's a cost factor, but again, students are more important. We want to make sure that we're fulfilling this mandate. We finally agreed, let's, let's see Ms. Murphy with the human resources, go out, get us the three best teachers that you can get. So when she had come back, there were three different language teachers. We had a Spanish, German, and a Mandarin Chinese. So then it became a discussion of, well, wait a minute, how is this going to work? We have six elementary schools, three teachers, three different languages, very, very confusing. When I first saw that, I was also confused. I wanted to explain. We had our um, our head of uh, humanities uh, supervisor, Mr. Mark Ferrari, come in and kind of explain us, you know, what was the plan going forward? Again, we're not, the board's not directing the curriculum. We're not but we also do want to know what's going on. How are we how are we going to implement this? We're going to pay for three teachers. How are you going to going to push this out? It was a little confusing, but I put my faith in our uh, on our staff. We went back to the drawing board and we decided let's decide on one language. We decided with Spanish, which is was the original recommendation, and let's push out and find if we can get the three best Spanish teachers. By miracles of her hard work, Miss Murphy was able to get three Spanish teachers. One Spanish teacher was the original Spanish teacher from uh, that was hired, uh, was going to be hired. We didn't hire those three. And then we ended up getting two more. That has been in place. So they were uh, hired. However, the curriculum is not into effect until November 1st. I think it's going to happen at the end of this year, just because this didn't really occur until uh, late July, early August, that we're finally able to get all three on board. And we need now we need the um, curriculum uh, set from the curriculum committee. Uh, and Mr. Freeman are going to make sure that we get those students out there. So like I said in the beginning, it has a happy ending that we're now in compliance with the world language. And we have the extra PE teachers for our students to get those times. But you were right. Our, our QSAC uh, scores got uh, dinged because we're out of compliance. Our um, 
there were multiple ways that we were out of compliance when we we needed to just say, hey, listen, this is what is mandated and let's figure out a solution to go with this mandate. Yeah. So my question there too is, well, I guess I would need you to clarify. So it really wasn't a budgetary issue. It was, it sounds to me like it was more of a communication issue at the board level and determining what world language you should choose and so on and so forth. Is that accurate? Like which language? Yeah, that was, there was a, you know, there was a lot of questions of what specific language was going to be taught, you know, and it went from, you know, there were there were some whether in the community or on the board that didn't want any more any language to we want some language and then it was like what then it became what languages and then you know the question do we do multiple languages and then it was finally determined you know let's just do the three Spanish. Gotcha. All right. So I want to take it on a little lighter note and I want you to tell me when people go, I, I just love this question so much. I want you to tell us what, how you want the community community to think about you when they see your name on the ballot. That's a great question. I like that one. So I hope, you know, when I, when I came in, I was kind of my, my family's name was known, but they, they not a lot of people really knew who I was. And I was starting to speak to more and more people. I would hope after the past three and a half years, People understand that I have that stability. I have that leadership qualities and I listen. I answer the phone when people call. I answer the emails as fast as I can and I'm around and they know that I'm approachable. They can talk to me. Not everybody calls me saying that I'm the greatest and, and they always agree with me. People sometimes like, hey, I think you did was wrong or I don't understand it. And I'll explain it to them. I have been like, you know what? You're right. I never saw it from that way. I like to have discussions with people. My slogan, if you will, on the ballot is keep moving forward. And that's what we need. You know, my original one was that, you know, we need to move Ridgewood forward, but now we need to keep moving forward because we can't stay put. If we keep continuing the path that we are, that's not progress. You know, we mentioned the, you know, the high turnover. We need to keep moving forward. We have a great administration in place right now. We have the best of the best. And we need to, while we're looking towards the future, we need a stable board that's going to look out best for our students and best for our community. So I think that people, by knowing that they see my name, they say that's stability, that's the, uh, a voice of reason and can kind of pull everybody together and get things done. You know, we were able to get a lot of projects done this year while, while I was president that, that have been, you know, stagnant. I mean, you know, late start, for instance, has been talked about for so long. And, it, you know, I said, I'm like, we have to talk about this and we have to get something done. Either we're going to move on or we're going to do it. And I'm so glad that we, we finally were able to get that, you know, come to a conclusion that everybody was comfortable with. And, and we'll find out, you know, as time goes on, you know, we may need to tweak things, but I think we, yeah. we you know, so we're going to have uh, Jeff Nias, the principal of Ridgewood High School on in November, I believe. Oh, um, and he's going to talk about some of the, is it monitoring the late start? And they'll have some more data to show how successful this initiative right. is, has, has been rolled out. So we're really excited about hearing about that. Um, the other thing you mentioned about your, your, um, accessibility. I'd really like you to share with our listeners how to contact you. Um, so if they do want to reach out and have any other questions, you know, what are your campaign websites and things like that? Sure, sure. Campaign wise, super easy to remember. I'm vote for Lembo at gmail.com. And I have a Facebook page. So it's facebook.com slash vote for Lembo. Super easy to remember because I just want people to remember just to vote for me. But also if somebody has any questions, you know, they have 
most people have my personal, which I'm not going to give out as a campaign wise, or if they make mistake and, and, and email the board, I usually redirect it as well. So sounds good. Jordan, you're up. Mike, I think, you know, thanks again, obviously, for your service in your previous term and, you know, very helpful to have, you know, someone as candid and, and willing to kind of talk to the community. And I guess as you uh, look at some of the situations that you that you have um, and that you're hearing from parents, but as well as you with your call it perspective of being on the board and seeing some of the conversations, what do you think some of the issues that parents should be thinking about that are really important that they're probably not prioritizing because of some of the national conversations and what the media might be saying? That's it's tough to say, but I, and I, I appreciate that question because I, I hear parents from all different sides. But I, one of the things that I always tell people is our students, our kids are listening. They're, they're listening. They're paying attention. They're they want to weigh in on things, especially our older students, the high school students. We need to listen to them a lot of times. Um, when we are, you know, discussing matters, we need to know that whatever we do, and you know, I, I just because we're just discussing the late start, when we make these decisions, they're going to affect our our students. And we want to make sure that we ask them, you know, hey, what's going on? Like, you know, one of my things I was talking about is our children's, you know, their mental health and part of the strategic plan, the resiliency. And we want to make sure with our inclusivity, all the students, we, we pile so much on them. And, you know, I know at the high school level, we're doing a much better job. I wish they had it when I was there. They are uh, preparing students just to apply for college. Dr. Gorman and Mr. Nias with the, you know, they have that group where they come in and kind of help the college process go through. And now that that's all changed, so they had to revamp it because, you know, a lot of uh, schools aren't doing test scores anymore or or projects. And it's, I wouldn't even know how to apply to college right now, right? Like it's, it's very different. And so we, we have to think about and listen to our students and also think about the pressures that we put on them to, to excel, to be great, because we want to make sure that every student is heard and also every student is given the opportunity to flourish. And what we do is going to affect them. So if we are, if we're fighting or if we're disagreeing or if we're or having this and we're not talking to each other in a positive manner, we do not have to agree with each other. I, I wish we all did, but if we're getting up there and acting in a certain way, we're doing that in front of our students and our kids. And do we really want them to think that's positive? We've seen that on the national level in elections. And we're like, wait, why are people acting this way? So we need to uh, listen to each other's varying opinions and come to logical conclusions. And at the end of the day, it's our community at stake. You know, like our, I said, our, our uh, educated community is a positive, a thriving community. And we got to do it for all of us. No, that's helpful. And I think, you know, as you said before, your your perspective of thinking about kids' safety, and then I think that answer, you know, highlights the being thoughtful about kids' uh, experience yeah. and what challenges they're really facing. And that's probably one of the things that as we, you know, sit around and talk about some of the issues which we think are important as parents, we sometimes aren't thinking about how our kids are viewing their experience in the school. And I think you raised a great point. I mean, with, with applying to colleges, it really depends on how much help you're getting at home. Uh, for yeah. some of us, we have, you know, parents or siblings that went through it and we get a lot of support. And for other people, they don't get as much support. And so that's always something we have to be thoughtful who, you know, where does that responsibility ultimately fall and how can we help uh, our school system? So uh, very, very helpful to kind of add that different view. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you so much again, Mike, for taking time to talk to us today. Really appreciate it. Wish you all the luck in, for the election. And um, everyone that's listening, please don't forget to go out and vote on Tuesday, November the 7th. Absolutely. Thank you again so much for having me. We'll talk soon. Such a pleasure. Luck, Mike. All right. Take care. Take care, y'all.